Today's episode of the Book of Basketball 2.0 on the Ringer Podcast Network. The first episode of season two is brought to you by the ringer.com and the Ringer Podcast Network, where we're still trying to crank out a bunch of content, including this week on the ringer.com, the greatest TV characters of the 21st century. We did a whole bracket. So you can check that out as well as all the pods we're doing. Coming up, me, Ryan Rossillo, and Chris Ryan are breaking down the craziest draft of the last 25 years, the 1998 NBA draft. This, this draft was drunk. That's the only way I can describe it. This draft actually was overserved and it had to be driven home. It's all coming up. This is the Book of Basketball 2.0. All right, it's the 98 redraft. When I asked Chris Ryan to do this, and I told him the draft and the other co-host other than myself, Ryan Rosillo, I think it was his greatest moment in 2020. It's, you know, not not a great year for any of us, but this is going to bring some uh, levity and some happiness to all of us. This is the fucking craziest draft of all time. I have a Simmons crapshoot rating for each draft, which I use the acronym SCRAP for. This is, <laughs> this is a 10 out of 10. It is unbelievable. It was unbelievable. It was happening. It's unbelievable to look at now. It's probably the only draft where you could actually do a documentary about this draft and I would watch it for two hours. Uh, Chris, what's your biggest memory of this draft? Uh, I mean, m- mostly just the disrespect shown to Rafer Alston. <laughs> no, I mean it was the it was the trades and it was uh it was definitely the formation of that of that Don Nelson Mavericks team. Oh, how about you, Rosillo? The Mavs thing is a headline because not only did they add Dirk in this, they added Nash, and you know that was a trade. I have some amazing research that I did this morning on reactions from local markets on some of the stuff, which I know is right up your alley because I know you're probably going to read us the Boston Globe from three straight weeks, but. There was, there was a couple lessons in it for me. It was still we hated Euros, okay? We still hated Euros because it's like, who's this dirt guy? And then the dirt impact on what it meant for every other tall white guy for like the next four or five years because people didn't know what to do. It was learning that Don Nelson is like the last guy you want to sit at a poker table with because I was lucky enough later on, years later, like some of the guys in the front office of Celtic story who were part of that draft room, Chris Wallace, Leo Papil, like they told me all about it and they were awesome telling me the stories, being like, we knew Don, we knew Don. Don was going to figure out some way because the Celtics thought they were getting Dirk. And then the oddity of oddities is like, like you, how did Paul Pierce go 10th? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so, Dirk I can forgive. Like the Dirk stuff is... There was a curve back then, but the Pierce thing is still, I mean, it it haunts any Sixers fan who thinks of the name Larry Hughes. I did a draft diary with my dad at his old house. and Shout out to the old house. And, you know, I'm taking notes, but then I'm also going to run, you know, over the computer and type all the notes in. And my notes are, we think Pierce is going to go in the top three. 
he's either going to go two to Vancouver or he's going three to Denver. And we have our fingers crossed for Nowitzki. Now, this is the late 90s. We don't have nearly the information highway we have now. We don't have YouTube. We don't have any way to look these guys up. There's just some, a couple of people writing about this guy who kind of seems like he's the German Larry Bird. And he has this one game overseas that had the scouts drooling and he has three-point range. That's all we know. So obviously we fixate on this guy immediately. Like, oh, let's get the German Larry Bird guy named Dirk. This is right after Boogie Nights, Dirk Diggler. Paul Pierce, we watched in college. Like there was no way he was falling. So when he starts falling, by the time Philly passed him, we just assumed something bad had happened. And I remember running over, his computer was in the other room. There's no wireless back then. Running into his office and Googling Paul Pierce drugs, Paul Pierce cocaine, (laughs) Paul Pierce scandal. I swear to God, I did this because I was like, something, something terrible, something sinister is happening. But no, it was just everybody fucking up. But I mean, that's a realistic recounting of how crazy this was, right? Yeah, I just love the idea of Simmons doing background, last minute draft background via dial up on Netscape. Yeah, and you weren't you weren't even Google. What was your you search were, engine? Yeah, you, that you, was you AOL. Were Alta Vista. Yeah, AOL? that was AOL, Vistas. and it would take it would take forty five seconds to log in, and I'm I'm it's doing that, <laughs> and I'm like, I just want to find out if Paul Pierce has a cocaine problem. Like, just you probably how, could how have paid a Boston this? cop to run a background check in the amount of time it took for you to log that on. Well, the other thing back then, if somebody dropped in a draft, there was so little intel that it just became, you know, almost like a 90210 episode where people yeah. are just like, oh, there must be something wrong with this guy. I'm just going to pass on him. Like Philly taking Larry Hughes over Iverson. Sorry, Chris. I mean, uh, over Pierce when he was the perfect guy to put next to Iverson. And the Philly fans would have loved him. It's insane in retrospect. Larry Hughes was a guy, he was 19. He was open about, I'm coming out because my family needs money. I know I'm not ready yet. Like he was basically telling people that. And he didn't really make sense with Iverson either. I'll never understand that one. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I would say is that what we learned a couple of years later is that no one really made sense with Iverson because the people who made sense with Iverson were Eric Snow and Aaron McKee. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't Stackhouse or Van Horn or Jimmy Jackson or Larry Hughes, and maybe it wouldn't have been Paul Pierce. It might have just been, we need four scrappers to stand around while this guy does his thing. So when you think about all the legacies of this draft, Rosillo, the Celtics, after having terrible, terrible, terrible luck with Len Bias and Reggie Lewis, stumble into Paul Pierce, who becomes a top 40 all-time guy. Dallas shrewdly pulls off this trade with Nowitzki. It's still unclear why they just didn't take him at six. And why they were so confident that if Milwaukee at nine takes Nowitzki, they'll be able to flip them. Like, what if Philly took, just went off the board and took Nowitzki at eight? What if the Celtics traded up to eight to take Nowitzki and then Dallas just is stuck with tractor trailer? That's an amazing uh, sliding doors. And then you think about Philly, if they had ended up with Pierce or Nowitzki to put with Iverson. Now we're talking top 50 guys. It's weird because in the moment, the legacy of this draft seemed like it was going to be this Vince Carter Jamison trade, right, Rosillo? Yeah, because that's that's its own topic. Because if you watch UNC that year, Jamison was the guy. He was 22-something a game. Shamad Williams was the second leading scorer, and Vince was taking 10 shots a game. And he was really a guy, you know, like he just 
he wasn't Jameson and they were both juniors coming out. So that one actually made a little sense. You're like, yeah, Jameson should go ahead of Carter. But, you know, when I think back to the Larry Hughes part of this, because it's all still connected. So I think we're going to kind of repeat ourselves in certain moments. But like Larry Hughes, this is so long ago. Larry Hughes is part of a trade because Philly got him out of there immediately. Because Chris, you're right. Like nobody's a fit with Iverson. If Pierce had ended up at eight with Philly, guess who would have gotten traded after three years? Probably Pierce. Like no yeah. one keeps, no, there's no basketball player in the modern era that keeps his team more hostage than Allen Iverson by his style of play. And that's what we learned about it. As exciting and as much as it was for the culture and all the cool parts of it. And I'll save this for my 96 draft, but it just... There, there wasn't really ever a perfect fit unless you were a guy who was like, I actually don't like to score, which is all the guys that Chris just mentioned. But Hughes was gone from Philly so fast. He was part of a Billy Owens trade. Tony Kukoc ended up in that deal. And when you really break down either, you're right, because as much as the Jamison Carter thing was the headline in that flop, looking back on what Don Nelson knew and what the Celtics are trying to do, the Celtics are trying to, get this misinformation out there that, ah, you know, even if Dirk's at 10, you know, there's some international signing conflicts, which didn't even make any sense, but that's what they were telling other teams and trying to scare them away. And from what I was told, they, they went to bed the night before the draft being like, Don Nelson's going to, he's going to fuck us. Like he's going to figure out a way to do this. And so I think what happens there, instead of just taking Dirk at six, Nelson knew what Sacramento was doing. He must've known what Philly was doing. So he only had to worry about those two teams he, he must have known way more than the Celtics maybe thought he knew about their situation and the fact that they added the Garrity pick where they took the Garrity um, kid out of Notre Dame at 19 and they flipped that for Steve Nash. So like Don Nelson had to have gone to bed that night after the draft being like, I'm unbelievable, yet most people, even in Dallas, thought it was stupid. And yeah. people in Milwaukee were like, what an idiot this guy is for giving up on Robert Trailer, which you can find this stuff anywhere, but Dirk was still this unknown. I went back to a mock draft this morning. He wasn't in a Sports Illustrated mock draft. Dirk wasn't in any of the 30 picks. He wasn't in the first round. And we can't uh, overstate, it seemed risky in 1998 to take a foreign dude that didn't play in college. There was still like a real bias against it. But I the haircut remember, alone. Yeah. I remember when number nine comes up and I'm with my dad and somehow miraculously Pierce and Dirk are on the table. And at that point, we don't know who's going nine. Who did you and want? We, so we have this three minute conversation <laughs> as, as they're kind of trying to figure out what's going on. And both of us were afraid of Pierce. We thought it honestly was like, we thought he was falling for a reason. And I, I'm embarrassed to say it now, but both of us really wanted Dirk. And that's crazy. We kind of looked at each other and we we're like, who do you want? And my dad's like, I think I want this Dirk guy. I think he has if a chance I could, to be special. I just really want, I want the footage of this where Bill is <laughs> screaming for Bonzi Wells at this moment. No. Well, <laughs> you think about it though. We had, we had no intelligence or evidence at Zero. all that Dirk was going to be good. We knew nothing other than a couple things we had read of the sporting news. I remember there was one draft guy back then who was online. I can't even remember the name of whoever it was. And that person had mock drafts. And other than that, like, how the fuck would you know anything? But for for whatever reason, Dirk just seemed like a safer pick, even though he was a 19-year-old German kid. So anyway, that was uh, phenomenal. We also should mention, you know, one of the fun things about this draft was the Clippers had the first pick. 
And this is the height of the Elgin Baylor. Oh, they'll fuck up anything at all times. And everybody, there, there's rumors that they're going to take Michael Ola Candy, who at that point is 24 years old. So he's f- five years older than Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, he's playing for Pacific. There's not really a lot of, you know, evidence that he could be a great player. There's questions about his motor. And the joke was like, oh, this seems like a classic, terrible Clippers pick, but they won't actually do it. They're not actually going to take him. They'll take Pierce or Mike Bibby. And then they actually took him. And it was one of those things where immediately you knew it was going to end badly, right? Do you guys remember watching this and just being like, oh, that's going to, he'll be a bust. There's no question, right? Yes. Um, uh, you know, we can we could do that thing where it's it's really easy. No, but this was an in the moment deal. There's plenty of yeah. times where we'll exaggerate how we felt, or you know, it's it's hard to even remember that moment. But that was a, you know, Rafe could go one, Pierce could go one, you know, Bibby. Here's a side here question just to marinate on this one. Would Bibby go higher in the draft today, considering the shape he's in, than he did in nineteen ninety eight? <laughs> um, there was there was all of these names like even Jameson and, and then the other part was like well what happens if Rafe should Pierce go one I mean Pierce legitimately was talked about in some circles of all these different possibilities and then the Olawa Candy thing picks up and we cannot emphasize enough as Bill has it was just hard to kind of chase down this information but even in a world where none of us were going on Twitter to rip a rumor about this whatever circles we were in we were like are the Clippers really going to fucking do that this big guy from Pacific, and he played a lot longer than people probably realize, but it was immediate. The, the lack of impact that he was going to make was immediate once you watched him play. And the other funny thing was a year later, which we're going to cover the 99 draft, when Lamar Odom is available right around the range where they'd pick, and it was it, the exact same sequence of events. Like, wow, it'd be hilarious if that's who they ended up with, like the resident head case of this draft. What oh, a see, terrible idea. Lamar. Well, but it was just like, what a terrible idea on all sides for Lamar Odom, who has a chance to go to the Clippers. This Everyone loses if this happens. And naturally, they took him. Chris, what do you remember about Olua Candy? I don't remember anything because my interaction with prospects back then was almost entirely based around college basketball and specifically like March Madness. I was like, I was a Temple fan and I obsessively watched the tournament and the conference tournaments. And I just remember being out of my mind about all the Arizona guys. You know, I remember, you know, Bibby and Miles Simon and Dickerson and just kind of being really fired up about a a bunch of those teams. But even if you wanted to go down a couple of rungs and get talk yourself into Doliacs or or, or like those kind of guys, I just don't understand where did Olawa Candy come from? Like, where did that hype come from? And and if they didn't take him at one, there's a chance he falls to the bottom half of the top 10. That Clippers team was 17 and 65. And I guess, you know, the, granted, it's hard to put yourself in Elgin Baylor's mind. He's one of the worst GMs of all time. But the team they had, they had Rodney Rogers, they had Brent Barry. Uh, I think they had Brent Barry at that point. Lamont Murray. Lloyd uh, Vaught was still there. He was hurt. Eric Piakowski. They needed a center. And this was Lloyd still Vaughn. in the era where teams were like, we need a center. Well, it doesn't make sense to take Paul Pierce. Like, we'll still need a center. We we just got to take all the candy. It was also back when age wasn't really as important as I feel like it is now. We look at somebody who's 24 now. They're almost like a finished What's product. What's wrong with this guy? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're pretty much, they are who they are. But in 1998, for some reason, they, they were like, oh, candy's got a lot of upside. Even in the draft, um, 
when that when he got taken, they were talking about his uh, Doc Rivers. I had in my draft diary that year. He used the word upside three times in ten seconds. No, for the TNT broadcast, which I compared to DiMaggio hitting in fifty six straight games, and then uh, Baylor they interview him and he calls him Oola Lakanda. He doesn't even say his name correctly and said he has a lot of upside. It's weird that they thought a 24-year-old guy would have upside. Like, nobody would think of that that way now. So I think it's one of the reasons this draft was so broken. What do you remember about Mike Bibby going second in the time? Uh, that was a reach. It felt like a reach at the time, just because you still had both the Kansas guys on the block. And you, you have to remember what Rafe was when he was healthy was really, really good. And Rafe was probably one of the original stretch bigs because you thought, man, this guy's going to be able to do all sorts of stuff. Like he can spot up, face up, he can attack you on the block. Like all of this stuff was really important. And he was almost ahead of his time. And had he stayed healthy, I think he actually would have had a really good career. I thought Rafe was a good player. Like I'm not saying a perennial all-star or any of that kind of stuff. So even Bibby at two, which you had heard could possibly happen and whatever stuff we were reading, it was you were still going, wait a minute, both Kansas guys are still available here? So that's what I remember, at least, with Bibia, too. It wasn't like outrage. It wasn't Olo Candy. It was just, I can't believe the Kansas guys are still there. And Denver went 11-71 and 71 that season, which <laughs> they were honestly one of the worst teams of all time. And they had, their leading scorers were Eric, where Eric Williams only played four games. But then Corey Alexander, uh, Lafonso Ellis, Bobby Jackson, like the team had nobody. It's it's weird in retrospect. I love Lafonso Ellis and Notre Dame. Well, it's weird they didn't take Pierce. I don't really understand that three. I guess that that's how highly they that people thought of the fronts back then. But it just seemed like the mentality now would be like, oh, we get Pierce. That could be like the number one scorer for us. The the uh, Vancouver Grizzlies things. They're just looking for bodies. I love Mike Baby back then, and I felt really vindicated on those Weber teams when he was basically the guy with the balls on, you know, those 01, 02 Kings teams. He was the guy they ran the play for, stuff like that. I don't have a huge problem with, I didn't have a huge problem with Bibby at two at the time because I, you know I really weird, liked though, him in college. It, it was tough cycling through those Arizona teams, though, because they were all so good. But then you didn't know, like, Look, I'm not trying to say Mike Bibby could potentially be Miles Simon, but Miles Simon was an awesome, productive player at Arizona. Awesome. But I missed on was, that. I missed badly on that one. But he was a guy that I was like, I don't see it. I don't see it. So sometimes I'd be like, so wait a minute, Bibby. And this is just again being young, and you know, you haven't done your thousands of hours of watching it from a critical eye. You're just a dude watching this stuff, and our opinions are probably even stronger back then. But at least for me, I sometimes with the Arizona guys, I was. I was right about Simon. I was right about Jefferson. I didn't realize that Bibby was going to be as good. And maybe I just sort of was downgrading everybody um, too much collectively because they had a ton of guys and they were good teams, but there would be like real highs and lows based on their pro potential. Chris, you said you were a Temple guy. Have you given up on Mark Macon yet? Or are you still thinking it might, he might. I think it, East it, Coast Toby Bailey. Like a, yeah, when when they have like when they reduce the big three to the solid two, and it's just two on two, I think Macon comes back in. I <laughs> Macon was amazing for me. Yeah, he was a god. He was another one I missed on. I missed on a bunch of '90s guys. I really liked Montrose. I got to say, when the Celtics took him, I was like, this guy, great jump hook, good footwork, knows where to be, where to go, and he's pretty good as a rookie. I don't, 
I never really understood what happened. So one other plot from this draft was just how weird the Vince Jameson trade was. Where I think it was, usually they waited to announce the trades till after the first round. In this one, the names were so big, they felt like they kind of had to do it. So they had the hats. They they both came with their picks, but pretty much immediately, um, they had to basically say, no, Golden State, don't get too excited. We're actually switching those guys. Peter Vesey was reporting in the draft that year, and he said, you know, Toronto's taking Jameson for Golden State at four. The Warriors are taking Carter for Toronto at five. And then he reported, there's also some money changing hands. And that was it. I don't know. Yeah. We, we still don't know how much money it is. But when you guys look back at that, Vince, Vince on Golden State, is he better off or worse off? No. Well, that uh, version of Golden State, the Cohan version, I don't, yeah. And I don't think he's better off. No, because the Vince thing from the beginning, you were like, wait a minute, what? Like, what is this? Like, a guy can do this in an NBA game? Like, how come this guy didn't score more in North Carolina? Like, I, I think Vince needed everything to be his own the way it was. Now, maybe he would have been happier staying in Golden State because as much as everybody loves Vince now, he was one of the OGs of get me the fuck out of here, um, which got really weird. Um, and why anybody would rather play in Newark than Toronto, um, I'll never Fred. be able to figure out. But... <laughs> Wasn't the, I don't know the rules on it now. I don't even know the full figure now, but wasn't the cap about 3 million? I don't know what it was in 98, but 3 million was the most you could put into a trade deal. Yeah, it was something like that. Well, we also had the lockout coming. So who knows if that had a factor in it's weird though. You look at the 99 Warriors, John Starks, this is after the draft, John Starks, Daniel Marshall, Chris Mills, Jameson, Bimbo Coles, Terry Cummings, Eric Dampier, Jason Caffey. It would have actually made more sense with that rocker to, roster to have Vince Carter than but I another have, forward. I, God, Terry Cummings still? Jeez. Oh, yeah. He, uh, played, he played for 100 years. <laughs> God damn. I like Terry Cummings is one of the first guys. I was like, man, that guy. And then you were like, oh, that's right. They just lose to all the other good teams in the East in the playoffs every year. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, that, that one's tough to say hey, Vince's thing would have been different. I don't know that it would have been different because it was so incredibly impressive physically because then it became kind of this thing, at least in that first year, like, wait, Pierce is going to be awesome? And then they're like, but wait a minute, is Vince Carter? It was it was very, if you had said in 98 after watching Carter and Pierce play those first few months of their rookie seasons that Pierce is actually unquestionably going to have the better career than Vince, no one would have believed you. No one. Because the Vince thing was exciting and it made Pierce look slower just because he wasn't Vince. So I think Vince would have been him no matter what. I don't know if he would have stayed in Golden State longer, as you mentioned with the whole Toronto thing. But I can imagine, as I said kind of earlier with the Jameson thing, I'm sure plenty of teams probably looked at Jameson as the more solid NBA pro. So to to want him um, makes sense to me even 20 years later. Was there a weird thing with that with that Carter Jameson trade where like the Raptors had liquidity issues or anything like where they needed that? that payment because they had been so bad over the beginning part of the franchise. I, I felt like I read something when I was researching where it was like maybe an interview with Glenn Grunwald, but it was essentially about the money changing hands was an essential part of the deal. Yeah, it might have been. We Well, so two things were going on this season. One is the lockout's coming and everybody knows that one of the frustrating things about this draft was we knew it was a mother load of talent and there were guys that we specifically couldn't wait to watch, guys that were going to fun situations. 
And then it was just pause button for eight months. And basketball didn't come back till February 99. So this draft happens end of June 98. Eight months later, all these guys are suddenly playing. Nobody's worked out. The rosters are thrown together. There's a ton of movement. There's teams that were put together in like five days and they're getting thrown together. The other thing was that that 97-98 season leading into the into the uh, lockout, for whatever reason, some of the teams were just terrible. Uh, we mentioned Denver won 11 games. Toronto was 16 and 66. The Clippers were 17 and 65. Golden State was 19 and 63. And Vancouver was 19 and 63. Denver was 20 and 62. So you had six teams that were 20 wins or less, which is really, really unusual. And they were bad. And this was like, the league had expanded too much. There wasn't enough talent to begin with. And the lockout kind of reset everything. But um, really, really strange times. Um, yeah, like there would have been, there would have been zero teams with less than 20 wins this year if they finished out the season. Just so to we're put it in perspective. Yeah. Right. So we're going to do the redraft. Wanted to mention um, a couple comedy highlights from the draft that I've dug up on my draft diary. After LaFrance got drafted, Rick Majerus was the TNT guest analyst. <laughs> he immediately compared LaFrance to Adam Keefe and we meant it as a compliment. And if you're a Denver fan, you can't be excited. Like Paul Pierce is still on the board and you took great from France. And then Rick Majerus is like, he reminds me of Adam Keefe. So that was a problem. Uh, there was another moment. You mentioned Bonzi Wells earlier, Chris, when he got sure drafted, when he got drafted, they cut to him in the green room. He was surrounded by family members. They were all wearing matching white fedoras. <laughs> they looked like, uh, I said it, they looked like a notorious BIG video. The Minnesota Timberwolves in this draft, in 97, they drafted Paul Grant, a white stiff center. In 98, they drafted a Slovenian white stiff center, uh, Rado Nesterovic. So they went back-to-back centers. Congrats to them. Um, my dad was convinced at some point in this draft that everyone was wearing the same suit. And if you look at Carter and Jameson, um, their suits are very similar. And he thought there was one suit backstage that they were all, this was before everybody started making fun of the suits and people put real effort in it. So the suits are great. Uh, at the end of the first round, Turkey's Mirsad Turkan. Was that his name? You remember him, Rosillo? No. Okay. I mean, I have it up, I have it up in front of me here, but yeah. Well, Rick, Rick Majerus compared him to Moses Malone. So that, so that happened. Where, where did he compare him to Moses? During the telecast, he gets drafted and Rick Majerus immediately dropped the Moses blown. And then yeah, I uh, thought it might've been like shooters sports bar or something like that. Yeah. He yes. played one season with Houston. I, I don't, I didn't remember him all that much. He was, he was six, the, nine. I don't know. Not great. And then the other thing, one of the reasons that we had, I can't believe we didn't mention this yet. Oh, wait a minute. He was on the Knicks. He was drafted by Houston. My bad. This was the Richard Lewis draft. This was a really kind of iconic draft moment where Richard Lewis is in the green room. He's a high schooler. He thinks he's going to go in the lottery. He starts dropping. They cut to him a couple of times. He's getting sadder and sadder. They do a couple montages followed by the guys coming back being like, I don't understand why he hasn't been drafted yet. 
Then they cut to him. He's by himself in the green room. There's nobody else there. He's near tears. Seattle takes him 30 seconds so he doesn't get the stern handshake. And as he comes out, he uh, he's crying. And this became a seminal draft moment and actually like a good part of his story. But after that, they were much more careful about who should be in the green room and how that, how that should all play out. It was pretty, pretty uh, emotional at the time. So yeah, it's one of the worst, it's one of the worst um, green room nights in, in NFL NBA history. Really? So yeah, it's, it made the Aaron Rodgers thing seem like a Farrelly brothers comedy. So <laughs> if you're going to look at these drafts, and I, I do the five-star rating. So if you come out with a draft, a super-duper star that's five stars, all-timer four stars, franchise guy three stars, all-star two stars, quality starter one star. Um, We did not have a super-duper-duper star in this draft, like uh, on the Tim Duncan level. I think Dirk is super close, but I so think wait a minute, how many? Wait a minute. Dirk isn't? How tough is... What do you have to be? You have to be a top 10 all-time guy. Or top 12. Oh. You have to be Hakeem. You have to be Kobe. You have to be Duncan. You have to be on that level. I have Dirk as a four-star. small one. Pierce has a three-star. Vince Carter, two-star. Jamison, one-star. Bibby, one-star. Richard Lewis, one-star. And then for just, just really good starters, Al Harrington, Larry Hughes, Katino Mobley, Jason Williams, and Rafe LaFrance. No Ricky Davis? Yeah, Ricky was, you know. <laughs> Ricky was 12 years Ricky. in the league. <laughs> yeah. So I thought we could uh, redraft this and figure out do you want to do it just what the order should have been, or do you want to do it who the team should have taken? Or do you want to do both at the same time? I have order should have been, but I can do which either, which either. All right, let's do order really should have been. Okay. Um, Chris, you have the first pick. Rosillo, you take the second pick, unless you want the third pick. You want to trade up? You want to trade down from two, or you want three? Snake draft? <laughs> uh, no, it shouldn't be a snake draft for this. I don't care. I'll just take the second pick. I don't need. Why do you want right. to take Pierce? I'll do three. <laughs> so you get Chris. You get one, four, seven, ten, and thirteen. Rosillo gets two, five, eight, eleven, and fourteen, and then I'll take the uh, other ones. Chris, okay. You, so I'm on the clock. You're in the clock for the Los Angeles Clippers with the first pick of the 1998 draft. So the Los Angeles Clippers select Dirk Nowitzki. All right. So let's talk about this. Let's say this is actually how it played out. Would he have made it? Yes. He's too good to have not made it, but they would have screwed him up in the beginning. But I don't think he was, he would be screwed up. Like he probably would have been traded somewhere else. And I, I just think if you're that good, you you work out no matter what your situation, despite at that time, the Clippers are the worst team you could have been drafted to. Yeah. I mean, in, in some ways, I wonder whether or not Pierce would have been a better Clipper at this pick. Um, and if he goes on to become like a franchise legend there. Uh, but, it, you know, with hindsight, you can't you have to pick Dirk. So here's the counter to that. So when I did the Book of Basketball podcast with Mark Stein about Nowitzki's career, he talked about when Dirk was a rookie, there were high expectations. It was such a great draft. All these guys were in there. They traded for him, all that stuff. And they put Nash with him. And he had a really tough time that first year. And 
um, the expectations really, really weighed on him. He had Nash as like his support system, but he was like a fish out of water. And everybody around that team said like Nash basically adopting him and teaching him how to be an adult, looking out for him, things like that really helped him. I do think there's a world in which I don't think he would have flamed out on the Clippers, but I think he could have gone badly and then somebody else would have traded for him three years in. I do think there's a world where it could have gone badly though. I, cause only because I'm judging it by the entire nineties and two thousands with the Clippers, how many talented guys they have and none of them really made it except for Elton Brand. So who knows? It was such a toxic environment. Um, the other thing with, you mentioned about them taking Pierce there. He was an LA kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That actually would have been would. just from, just from a marketing slash, we have to do something. The other team in our city has Kobe and Shaq. It's really weird that they were like, let's take Olawa Candy over the local kid. I, I, I'll never The other understand part it. about the Olawa, the Olawa Candy pick is they had just drafted Lorenzen Wright in the lottery. And I'm not telling you like Lorenzen Wright was a stud, but he did play a long time. And it was almost like they drafted a completely different body type of the same exact guy, number one, two years after. And now they had Lorenzen Wright in there and they're probably thinking, okay, like they didn't draft Olawa Candy expecting to be a duplicate of the guy they already had two years prior, but that's who he ended up becoming statistically. So, Rosillo, um, why don't you admit to everybody right now that you were a huge Lorenzen Wright guy? Because I can feel it in your voice. I liked him. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I liked him. <laughs> like, did you like him more than Stromile Swift? No, I don't think I like anybody. <laughs> I don't like Bar. It goes Barkley one, Moses Malone two, Stromile Swift three, Mursad Turkan four. All right, I, hard, yeah, I, I didn't realize that this whole LSU thing was just deep seated. I mean, I'll do a Tyrus Thomas segment with you guys later if you want to. But um, oh, so talented! It, apparently, the personality just overpowered all the talent. Yes, Tyrus is a legendary, a legendary. You don't want that guy on your team, guy. And you, I remember you and your dad tweeting about Glenn Davis. And wanting him more than Tyrus Thomas. And you guys, you guys are right about that. You called, you're like, yeah, we got that, we got that guy from LSU. All right. So Lorenzen Wright, yeah. I, I don't have much more to add to that, but I, I kind of sneak. You're up like on the, the rotation. Oh, you're I'll on the probably, clock. You're uh, number two. You got to take Pierce. I mean, look, I don't think the Dirk Pierce debate is really much. I just don't. Uh, this one's even easier because I, I don't. I love the Vince thing of, of thinking in the beginning of it all. Imagine 20 years later going, Pierce is going to have the better career. And he had the better career. He had much bigger playoff moments. Yes, he had a better team around him. The Carter bad luck stuff is, is totally true. But I don't, I mean, if, if, I mean, right? Are we in consensus on this one? There's no other choice other than Pierce at two, right? No, it's the one. I, I think this is how it should have gone. Dirk one, Pierce two. And then I think Vince Carter, who I'm taking third with Denver, is... I struggle with the Vince Carter Jamison thing, but I also really do think that the Toronto thing fucked up Carter in some way. I don't really understand it. His All exit or being there? Something about I remember going to seeing him in Boston his first two years, and especially the 0001 season when he went head to head against Iverson in the playoffs. That was his best year. And there was a game, I think it's even on YouTube, where they beat the Celtics in Boston on a buzzer beater by him that was like a fall away 20-footer. And I just, if you were just saying at that point during that season, 
who's going to have the best career out of Vince, T-Mac, Kobe, Iverson, Pierce. It w- there would have been a really good Kobe versus Vince argument. I really actually thought Vince's ceiling was at the Kobe level. And, it, and he was 25 points a game. He could do everything. I don't know what happened. And I, I do wonder if he had like even gone to a team like Denver, at least it's in the United States. I don't know if the Canada thing screwed him up. I've never been able to unlock why he was so unhappy there. It never made sense to me. What do you guys think? Well, he had, I remember when he, uh, when he, when he ended up in New Jersey and the haul that Toronto got for that was brutal. Um, although I always loved Jack Aaron Williams of the Nets. Yeah, me too. There was a guy that was doing a game that told me the story that, you know, as Vince was like getting ready to, to like walk under the court or whatever, he was like, how are you doing big fella? And, and Vince was like, you know, good to be back in America. Like he just, he really hated living up there. And I can understand yeah. too, like. If I was a kid who grew up in the SEC, like I try not to judge you know, somebody thinking like we probably think Canada's great. I went to school basically, you know, on the border of it. But you know, if you're a kid from the South or you're a different part of the country, you just might be like, I don't, I don't like this idea. My family, you know, it's another country and all this different stuff. And he wanted out of there. Toronto got nothing back. Luckily, it was Toronto because they probably still retired his number because they're so nice. And I think they did a tribute video, two tributes to Demar Derozan this year. So <laughs> when wow. um. When I think about Vince, though, I, I can't help but go through the playoff resume because you're right. That that one point loss to Philly in the Eastern Conference semis, so the second round in 2001, that's probably the biggest playoff stretch he's ever had. He had a 50 in game three. He had 35. He had 39 in game six. But other than, what, a three that he had with Dallas? In a game, was that game six in 2014? I'm, I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head as I'm, I'm scrolling through the game logs. Well, he he was 28 a game is in in the uh, 0001 season, his third season. He's 26 a game, second season, 28 a game, third season. I said this to Hassel when we did the 97 redraft. I do think people overrate his career in a lot of ways because well, I, agree I think with if you, you ask, yeah. if you ask somebody under 25, who is better, Vince Carter or T-Mac? I think a lot of people would say Vince Carter. And the reality is it wasn't close. T-Mac was much better than Vince Carter as a number one guy. Chris, what do you think happened to Vince Carter? I don't know. You know, a part of me is like, you know, I know he spent three seasons at Carolina, but to, to what Rosillo is saying, like one of the stories you read a lot about guys is like, they just didn't want to really leave college. Like they were just really, really happy where they were at school. I know Rasheed Wallace was like that. And when Vince left that playoff series um, with Philly to go back and get his degree, that was one of the original kind of like toxic sports talk flashpoint moments that I he remember care. in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like a huge deal. So, yeah, I think that to some extent, um, the Canada thing, it was just a lot different in 2000 or, you know, in the late 90s than it would be considered now with like Drake and how cool it would be to live there. I also um, what- think. We, you, you have a lot of people in your life at that point who are all telling you Kobe's much Kobe's bigger than you. He shouldn't be. You're as good as him. You're getting paid right away because that was before they had put in the rookie scale. So you had a chance to make huge money basically after your third season. And I can see it. I can, I can, it was a variety of events, but I wrote about it in 2004. And then I basically took what I wrote in 2004 and put it in my basketball book. But I went to games when he didn't try. 
I went to a Clipper game in 2004 when not only did he not try, his body language was terrible and everything about the performance was basically like, I just want to get out of here. And you talked about how bad the trade that Toronto got for him was. Um, it was because he he was torpedoing his way out of there and that was why they booed him for 10 years. I think it's too bad. I think he was as talented as as Kobe and T-Mac and all those guys offensively at least. I yeah, think he, it's also worth mentioning that back then, if you were not in like what we consider a major market, and back then Toronto was not really a major market, you didn't really get seen that much. Yeah, you know, it's it's not like there was this. It was not like there were like it was league pass, and it, there were people watching five games a night on the regular like that. If Vince Carter was in Toronto, if somebody was in Denver, and Denver sucked, like you just didn't get watched. I agree. Um. Before we get to the rest of the draft, I want to do some draft facts, courtesy of Zach Cram from The Ringer. We call these Zachs. Uh, there are four 20,000-point scorers in this draft. Pretty good. Dirk Nowitzki, the best-ever number nine pick by Winshares. Paul Pierce, the best-ever number 10 pick by Winshares. Not close in either case. In the lottery era, which 1985 on, Olawa Candy, the second-worst number one pick by Winshares. Ahead of only Anthony Bennett. Well, we won't know about your guy Markel yet, Chris, whether where he fits in that. Um, the best undrafted guy, do you know who it was? Brad Miller, undrafted oh, yeah. out of Purdue. He is the second most accomplished undrafted player of his era behind only Ben Wallace, the other top undrafted players from this year, Earl Boykins, Mike James. 2004 champion, Mike James. So there you go. Chris, you're on the clock with the fourth pick you're picking for the Toronto Raptors. This might be mildly controversial, and this is definitely a totality of his career thing and probably also a how basketball is played thing, but I'm going to go with Richard Lewis. Wow. What do you think of that pick, Rosillo? Statistically, it's the pick. Um, if you did the VORP, number here. Let's see what what is in win shares. Um it's not Tyson Wheeler, so that didn't sort correctly. <laughs> uh, yeah, Lewis Lewis is statistically the guy. Um I would rather have my pick here in, in Jameson. I just would. Um Richard Lewis so to me was was the absolute poster child for complimentary player like I know what his skill set I know what his size was I know how you could stretch Houston couldn't get him there fast enough but he he was to me like a guy who got and I'm not even anti the contract but there were moments where you'd forget he was even out there so I would rather have somebody who's a little bit more comfortable when a bucket needed to happen um, even though he doesn't have Jameson doesn't have at least Lewis was a big part of what happened in that Cleveland loss in 2009. So, you know, I'm not mm -hmm. knocking him, but I just mentality wise, and I know the stats favor Lewis. I would, I would take Jameson. The, uh, Richard Lewis run from 2004 to 2009 is pretty eye opening. He, he is not the first guy you would think of with ahead of his time. Like the way you would think with like somebody like Ray Allen, ironically who he played with, but, um, for that six-year stretch, he's 19 a game, six rebounds. He took six threes a game, 39% from three. 
for six straight years. Um, you figure like if you put him in 2020, what's he shooting? 11? Like He's 12 yeah. threes a game. So I think he's you 39% it, for his career. Yeah. He's got green light. You know, I think not only do I think that was a really good pick, but you could make an outside case for him against Vince. If you know, all right, if I have Vince, I'm going to have this guy who thinks he's the best guy, but I'm never actually going to win anything with him. Versus if I have Richard Lewis, I know this guy could be the third best guy in a title team. I just got to get the other two guys. So you're taking Antoine Jameson for the Warriors at five, Rosillo? Yeah, but did you just retroactively kind of overrate Lewis? Because there's this is always no. my battle with this. Are we worse in the moment? Or are we worse looking at somebody's stats 10, 20 years later? And in the moment, I'll, I'll just remind everybody, there were almost... Like, Lewis is a guy that hit a corner three. You were like, damn it, he was open. He hit that three. Good for him. There's zero assists, marginal rebound numbers. He was a really expensive, really tall, straight out of high school, ahead of his time, spot-up shooter. I guess my problem with Antoine Jameson, who is going to make the Hall of Fame because he scored 20,000 points, and when he gets in, I think he's going to be probably the least talented Hall of Famer we've had the last 20 years. He would get his 20. He'd get his 20 and 6, his 20 and 7, whatever. The team never won. It never felt essential or consequential. He was in a bunch of different situations, right? He was on Golden State for six years or five years. And you look at that 03 Golden State team, and that team was pretty good. They had him. They had Gilbert Arenas. They had Jason Richardson. They had Troy Murphy. They had Eric Dampier when he was actually good. Little Bobby Sura in there, uh, Mike Dunleavy, and they Bobby went thirty-eight. Sura. They went thirty-eight and forty-four. I just always felt like he was this guy that the stats made it seem like he should be making a max or a close. But if he was one of your two best players, where were you going? Whereas at least with Lewis, if he's the third best guy, I think he's just a better fit with whoever your best two guys are. Is that did that make sense? It makes sense because you're making my point that Lewis is the complimentary guy. Like, I don't want to turn this yeah. into Anton Jameson, some incredible stud that's been overlooked historically. But, you know, Lewis was great in that series, the Eastern Conference Finals in 09 against Cleveland. Against the Lakers, he'd go for 34 one game, eight the next, 21 the next game, six the next. Um, Boston, that Eastern Conference Finals series in 2010 is a classic Richard Lewis one to me. 42 minutes, six points. The next yep. night, 41 minutes, five points. Then he plays 27 minutes, four points. 13-14, the last game of the series when they lost by 12, he played 41 minutes and scored seven points. So he was never a guy that I was like, hey, bail us out of here in this situation. And I'm not saying that Jameson is the epitome of bail me out guy, but I, I just would trust him in that situation a little bit more. I think it was telling when uh, Jameson went to Dallas in 04. And now he's on a really good team, right? And this is in technically the prime of his career. He's playing with Nowitzki. He's playing with Michael Finley. He's playing with Anton Walker. Uh, he's playing with a young Josh Howard. Marquise Daniels is on this team. And, you know, he just wasn't that great for them. He, he was the fifth leading scorer in the team. I think they thought it was going to be this transformative moment for him. But when we actually saw him on a good team, I think it was harder for him to fit in as a complimentary player. So I guess we're making the same point. Yeah, I think but we're all think, on the same I think. I think both of them were complimentary stars. Neither of them were actually. So I'd rather have Lewis, but I think it's a good debate. I'm at number six, which uh, is the Bucks. 
this is the last no-brainer pick to me, Mike Bibby. Yeah. Um, I really, I don't know what happened to him the second half of his career, but I was just a huge fan of his. He was good in the playoffs. Like he had some, he has some, some scalps from the playoffs. Like he basically ended the Steve Nash era in Dallas in 04. He, he kicked the shit out of him in that series to the point that Dallas was like, eh, we don't want to pay Nash. I thought he, he really went toe to toe with those Lakers teams a couple of times. Um, and I don't know what happened to him second half of his career, but I really liked this game. Yeah, I don't think there's any thought, debate yeah. on this one. Yeah, you know what Bibby yeah. was? Bibby was one of the first, and this is always something that's important, especially like when we're talking about Portland and all that stuff, where we used to be worried about guards that scored too much. And now, if, if now if you're a point guard who can't score, you can't play in this league. And Bibby was a great example of of how good it can be when it's somebody who can get you buckets um, even though the assist numbers are probably lower than people realize, um, I think that was a product of uh, his team, though. That team had because so that much Kings of it, team passed so much out of yeah. It flowed through the big guys, and Weber and Divac had the ball a lot. He's always like, as soon as they got him, that team fell into place. White chocolate was so much fun, but the Bibby piece was what they needed. You look at his stats in O two, O two, they were the best team in the league, and I think they should have won the title. And the Lakers escaping that series is, in my opinion, a fluke. I really did think the Kings had more talent. Now, they also choked at home in a game seven, which has to be calculated. But yeah, but he had 29 in that game. You know, like he was, you're right. You're making great points here. He's showing up in these spots. Bibby was 20 a game in 16 playoff games that year. Uh, 44% 44% shooting, but 42% threes. Take it four a game. And uh, and he was also their best free throw shooter. And I think if Page shows up in that game seven, I think they advance. And you think like they had two shots to win that series and basically, uh, basically blew both of them. He ends up, the, the, his career starts to get weird around the mid 2000s. He was still... I mean, he was 21 a game in 2006 and then gets traded to Atlanta and it just kind of goes south. And I, I don't really know the reasons for that. Chris, you're up number seven with, uh, we should have rigged this so you could bring for quick, Philly. No, but we just have to mention there's nothing better than Bibby ending it in New York. He His last year was with the Knicks. Yeah. They have to this have a record. How many point guards have ended in New York? Oh, I mean, at least a, a Baker's dozen plus almost every guy from the late 90s lottery winds up ending their career in New York at some Baron point. Baron Davis. Yeah, right. Steve Francis. Yeah. Steve. Um, I love when, <laughs> I used to love when Jalen Rose would do that. His nickname was City because he went out so hard. Um, yeah, that's... <laughs> Marbury. Um, although he ended up in Boston. Yeah. Let me ask you guys this. So for the for redraft purposes, to what extent do you guys... When, when can we make an aesthetics pick? Like you when can I want, make a right? You do when can I make want. a pick that it's all a right. redraft? You're at number the, seven with the Kings. I'm the drafting. Only rules is that there are no rules. I'm drafting Jason Williams. Then I think it's smart. I, I think that's stupid. the right pick. <laughs> well, at this point, it's all at least with uh, white chocolate. I don't know that those that '99 season was pretty brutal, and that '99 Kings team was weirdly important 
from just a basketball fan standpoint. Remember, that was one of the only fun teams we had that year. I liked him. Rosillo is just disgusted. Okay, it was fun. Like all of us, you're like, what is this? Like, what? <laughs> what is this? I was watching clips of him today. Yeah. And I go, it was, it was unbelievable. Like, just to see the game the way he saw it. Uh, it just, you almost wish, like, could more guys kind of want to do some of the stuff? And then I go, remember when he couldn't shoot, though? Remember when yeah. he No, to, I know. It's, it, I think a lot of it also. All the time? So and and walk out of huddles and get suspended for weed. I know, and he. Had, I'm not uh, even talking about that part of it. He's an overrated player. The highlights for sure have us remembering him as this dynamic guy when he was really kind of one of those dudes. It's like a lot of this stuff is really fun, but none of this shit leads to winning. He'd actually fit in perfect in today's game. He'd get 30 a game to be meme central, and you'd be like, "Cool, they're 30 under 500." <laughs> He'd be a mentor I would just say all, some, some of this is like uh, nostalgia because he was such a sh stark contrast to a lot of the way the basketball was played back then I don't really it's, love anybody it's fun that, yeah I, I don't really love anyone that's left so I don't mind that's why I mean like yeah that's the thing is I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get that excited about Al Harrington sorry oh I did <laughs> I bet <laughs> Can I, I have one white chocolate defense for you, Rosillo. And you're right. His shooting was really abominable. He's a career under 40% shooter, which is pretty hard when you're a point guard. But he played 30 minutes a game for our title team in Miami yeah. in 06. And I don't know. That, that, that at least tells me out of all the guys we have left, there's somebody that we know could, could be a top seven guy for our title team because he was. So you're on the all right, clock. Yeah, I was great. No. I was going to leave that out because it's a great, I'm glad you brought it up actually, because it is a good point of him sort of salvaging his career and finding a way to totally change and help a team that was pretty good. But well, he was, was also, going, he was good on those Grizzlies teams though, too. Yeah. I'm just thinking like, I don't know if people really realize that watching those games though, it was fun, but you, it was almost guilty. It was almost like this thing where, um, I don't know. Every analogy I'm coming up with, they're just not going to do it. But no, I, I know what you're saying. It was, it's, it was it's this, it's like, I'm enjoying this, but I know it doesn't mean anything. Right. Yeah. But I just, I think that especially for the age that I was at then that actually was, that was fine. You know what I mean? I think the empty calorie part about it was, was, was pretty fun. Yeah. Well, and also if you're redrafting it for the actual moment, he did have value in that whole Slam Magazine early internet era. You know, there were yeah, we absolutely. Have, we didn't have a lot of fun guys back there, but I do think, even though the percentages don't back it up at all, he was one of those guys that knew where to go and what to do, which I think was valuable, and that was why he fit in on those Grizzlies teams and especially that Miami team. He he didn't do a lot of what he couldn't do, and he was always in the right places, and you know, simple stuff like he knew how to throw an entry pass. He knew how to get Dwayne Wade the ball on the left side in the spot Dwayne Wade liked it. Things like that. You're on the clock with Philly, number eight, Rosillo. just want to check with my area scouts here. <laughs> Double check what I'm doing. Uh, I don't actually want to do this because it only... It, we're, we're sticking to the some of the advanced metrics here a little bit more than I thought we would, and I don't want to, but I'm going to take Katino Mobley. Um, Mobley got you buckets, and he's never a one. I'm not saying that, but before he started having some of the medical stuff towards the end there, 
Like he was somebody you're like, this guy's really good. He's good. And some of those Toronto, excuse me, um, some of those Houston teams, like if you look at their records, then they were a little erratic and everything, but there were some decent teams in there. And I thought Catino Mobley ended up becoming somebody who was a second round pick out of Rhode Island that had a really nice career for him. And who knows, it could have gone longer. And then he dyed his hair gray for the big three. But uh, I always liked Catino Mobley. Me too. I had him seventh on my list. And I actually... Williams? Um, yeah, I had... I'm with you. I thought it was a better career than I think people remember. He's also weirdly forward thinking for what his career was. He's the kind of guy that everybody would want now, right? He has, from the 02 season, really through the 07 season, his last good season, He's 39% from three, taking four plus a game. I got to watch him on the uh, 06 and basically the last four years of his career, but really the 06, 07 Clipper teams. So I was going to a lot of those games. I had season tickets. I was really impressed by him. I, I really liked this game. I, uh, he was lefty going hard to the basket sometimes, which I liked. I thought he was a good three-point shooter. I thought he was a gamer. Him and Cassell were really good together. And, yeah, uh, don't you think I, like Mobley, Mobley's the guy that wasn't really afraid of anybody. Like he thought no. he was better in a good way. You know, we always talk about that outsized confidence, but I looked at Mobley as a fighter and a guy that was like ready to go. So everything I'm backing up everything you're saying on that part. Yeah. And you know, he's one of those guys that he just wasn't really ever on a good team other than that 2006 Clipper team that year. Uh, he was 13 a game, 12 playoff games for them playing 40 minutes a game. Um, I always liked him. He I, he always carried himself like somebody who was better than he actually was, which was weirdly valuable. Um, okay. We're going uh, with the number nine pick. This is Dallas. This redraft's a tough beat for Dallas. They go from Dirk Nowitzki to whoever I'm about to take. Corleone what? Young, Bill. Come on, go for it. Is Corleone still available? <laughs> yeah, he's um, still on the board. Rashawn McLeod, St. John's transfer to Duke. That was Duke's, I think, first transfer in. In the Coach K era, hmm. might have that wrong. Ryan Stack out of South Carolina. I'm Ansu taking. Cisse. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm taking uh, Rafe LaFrance number nine. And here's the case: he got hurt. Maybe there's an alternate universe where he does get hurt. But you actually look at the stuff, especially the first couple years that he was doing, where he was basically. The first, let's see, four years, five years of his career, he is basically 13 and eight, and he could shoot threes, which I think if you had the right coach was like, oh, this stretch five that I could just put 25 feet from the basket, he could shoot threes. That might be cool. Um, he obviously didn't find the right team. Then he went to Dallas, didn't really work out. Um, and he was start, his knees were starting to bother him at that point. Goes to the Celtics. Just a disaster of a trade. Uh, plays 17 games his first year. Kind of rallies back 05 season, where, which was um, a playoff season for them, where he was basically 11-7 and seven his last good year. But he's somebody like, if you have a big who can shoot threes and give you a 13-7 for seven years, that's not bad. So he's my pick. Really? I, I mean, like, I, I'm kind of surprised here because I thought you would have gone for... I thought you would have gone for Harrington here. I just never liked Al Harrington's game. That's But he had honestly, a way better career than Rafe LaFrenz, right? Way better? I just feel... 
Well, a better career than Leaf, Reef La Friends? I don't know. A man? I just, I, just, I just feel like you can find Al Harrington's. I can find these sure. guys that, you know, could potentially be 12 and 5 on a really good team or on a bad team. Like on those Atlanta teams, he's put up 19 and 7. The teams are doing nothing. Um, I don't know. I was never a huge fan. I was fine. I like loved, if, I, I, sorry. I love Harrington's rationale, though, coming out. He's like, my family does pretty well, so I'm just going to go. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Like, people are like, yeah, he's not really ready. He's not big enough. They're like, yeah, whatever. I mean, he was the number one <laughs> high school recruiting rank, and he just because, you know, even if I go late, it doesn't matter. Like, my family does pretty well. I, I think you're dissing Al Harrington here a little, Chris. You think I am? Um, so this is my pick, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you could take out Harrington. I know, you, but I really... If you, if you like him so a much. a couple of guys who are a little closer to my heart. Okay. This is for the Celtics, by the way, so you can really screw us if you want. You could give us out a little candy. I'll, I'll take... Uh, I'll take... I'll take uh, Matt Harpering here for the Celtics. Are you just being a dick? <laughs> yeah. Come on. Make a real pick. Come on. This no, is I'll take official redraft. Here, take, you get Harrington. You get Al Harrington. Thanks. P really appreciate that. Um, okay, so the top 10. We, we have Nowitzki, Pierce, Carter, Lewis, Jameson, Bibby, Williams, Mobley, LaFrance, Harrington. Here's where those guys were actually selected. 9, 10, 5, 32, 4, 2, 7, 41, 3, 25. God. In case you're, in case you're wondering if the draft was a fucking crapshoot, the draft is a fucking crapshoot. Rosillo, you're up with the number 11 pick, which was uh, Detroit. So does that mean you're going to go 12, Chris goes 13, I go 14, and yeah. you're done, or you go 15? I'm going 15 because I just want another pick. Yeah, I know that. That's cool. Thanks. Uh, it's, he shouldn't have lasted this long. Rafer Alston. Oh, Rafer. That was my heart pick, Rosillo. And he's, he had some like amazing runs in this career. He did. Um, you know, he... Let's see. He didn't get into the... What did he play? His first... <laughs> He didn't even, yeah, he didn't even play in that first season. So 98, 99, he's not playing. And then he didn't really play until 03, 04, you know? So I'm not he's, telling you he was awesome, but he, he proved that a lot of people were wrong. Sometimes guys actually get better too. Let's not kid ourselves. I mean, he was 27 when his career started kind of taking off with the Miami team, but he was a solid kind of that early 2000s kind of point guard who was never going to be a star, but was a tough dude and, you know, found, found ways to compete with guys that are probably more skilled than him. I remember Daryl took over the Rockets for the 06-07 season, which Rafer was already on the team at that point. And I remember talking to him about the guys on the team, who you keep in, who do you like? And, and he was saying, we, we, the stats, we actually like Rafer Austin. We think he's, think he's actually like a good piece for us. And I remember looking at the stats and being like, what? Because you, you go look at his uh, <laughs> field goal percentage just from 04, 38%, 41%, 38%, 38%, 39%, 38%. That's a six-year stretch for him. 
And at that point, you're just looking at field goal percentages and his assists weren't that high. I'm like, really? Ray for Austin? Like, I like his handle, but but now you look at the three-point stats and he was taking five a game in 06. He took six and a half a game in 07, five and a half a game in 08. He goes to Orlando. He's taking threes for them and he was always in like the 35 to 37% range. He had two really nice runs. The 08 Rockets, where they won 22 straight. He's a big and part that, of that And team. that Magic run. Yeah. And the Magic, he's, you know, if anything, when they brought Jameer Nelson back in the finals, it was one of the things that screwed him up. I like the pick. Good job, Brasillo. Who Thank is you. Who, What team had the number 12 pick? Hold on, I'm looking that up. Uh, oh, this was Orlando, ironically. Um. It's now disrespectful that Larry Hughes hasn't been taken, so I'm just going to take him at 12. I mean, you know, he... Is it still too early? <laughs> I'm taking him for Orlando. He he scored 20 points in a season, didn't he? At some point? He had to have. I, yeah, let me double check here. Um, and he... Uh, yeah, he had 22 a game his third year in Washington. He still was only 26. I mean, he was out of St. Louis at 19 just after had, one year. And 23 a game in, in 2000. only played 32 games for the Warriors. But uh, I remember when, see, that O2 thing, he becomes a free agent and House's team signed him, the Wiz. And House was fired up. At, the, at that point, Larry Hughes was like 24 years old. He could, he could play the one spot or the two spot. It seemed like he had the potential to go up and be even better. And then that O5 season with the Wiz when I think he's playing with arenas at that point, he's 20, 22 games, six rebounds, five assists, 2.9 steals, led the league. Larry Hughes was good. Then Cleveland traded for him, and for whatever reason, playing with LeBron, add him to the list of people who played with LeBron and immediately became much worse. <laughs> when I think of Larry Hughes, the first other than his time with the Sixers, the first thing I think of is combo guard. Yeah, and the idea of like, and the idea that how seductive the combo guard was, it was like you were getting two guys at once. It's like, hey, well, look, he's a combo. So he can play a little off ball. He can play a little on ball. That was like the huge selling point for Hughes and Philly at the time. Priscilla, don't, lo don't look this up, Priscilla. I'm pushing back on something though. No, but quick. don't look this up. How many teams do you think he played with during his NBA career? Don't look at it. Larry Hughes? Yeah. Six, seven? Eight. Ah. <laughs> Also, if you don't think there was a Knicks run in there, you're lying no, to yourself. No, there was a Knicks run. <laughs> the Knicks, where all point cards go to die. Uh, push back on something. The Cleveland thing. Wait a minute. Do you actually think guys get worse with LeBron? They statistically may take a dip because they don't have as many shots. Like Kevin Love, does this mean he's worse with LeBron or he was just putting up massive numbers in Minnesota because nobody else was on the team and he could do whatever he wanted? I'm See, just I asking you. I'm just asking you who yeah. made a leap when they joined LeBron's team. Just name every, me one every guy. Every team, every team's one loss record. Yeah, I'm talking individual players. I just don't think like Bosch, like Bosch has two choices: go back to Toronto and have nothing happen of significance other than stats, and take a massive dip in stats and and win a couple rings. So when I've heard this argument before, I've never heard you make it. Where Larry Hughes uh, went from 18 shots a game with the Wizards to like less than that, but his three-point shooting went up. So I think LeBron, if you're looking at raw stats and playing with him, you're going to see dips from guys that were putting up numbers somewhere else, but I don't think they're necessarily worse players, and certainly the team isn't worse. 
my case is we've seen it now for 17 years. LeBron likes LeBron when you're his teammate, you're expected to do a couple things. You're not, you're like, if you think of a chef and you're like, Hey man, I can, I can do this. I can make stir fry. I can make pasta. I can. And LeBron's like, no, you're going to make sandwiches. That's what you're going to do. And that's what you do when you're LeBron's teammate. You do the things that to fit into the framework of the like team he likes to have. You're just doing that. And I don't think Larry Hughes was a guy like that. I think Larry Hughes suffered playing on LeBron's team. Right. I don't think he's ever the same when he went there. I can't ever lose this argument, though, because it's like, yes, when you play with Iverson, you have to play a certain way. You set screens. You watch another guy shoot the entire time. You cover him defensively when, when Iverson. But no, but like, and guess what that leads to? Nothing of significance other than a fluky 2001 finals run because the East stunk. Um, I think most. Sorry, think Chris. That's mo- <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was really. But I think, that was really mean. Now we're in. <laughs> I think most alpha dog stars, though, usually teammates have to like sacrifice a little piece of their basketball self to kind of fit in with the larger frameworks. That's why I always gravitate to guys like Magic and Bird because those were guys that you put players with them and they figure out how to actually make them better. And pull yeah, but, out like another level of those guys. I just don't think there's a lot of evidence of LeBron doing that. Is my, I, the, is my the, case. The, the counter to that always will be: Did the team, did the team always win? So whatever he's doing and having other guys do, and whatever they're they're giving up. But remember too, like that Larry Hughes Cleveland run, like that Cleveland thing started off a whispers of LeBron of potentially leaving or not being happy. So Gilbert was doing. This is why I've always pushed back on Gilbert's cheap. Gilbert always spent because he oh, took he on everybody else's contract. He'd be like, okay, Larry Hughes still has money left. Boom, we'll bring him in. Okay, so what else is going on? Drew Gooden? Okay, Zerbiak, um, Ben Wallace will resign. So he was doing this thing, and Larry Hughes was part of the beginning of this where they were trying whatever they could to throw any talent at LeBron to make LeBron feel better about the situation. I just think there I've heard it before probably too many times. That's why I got fired up about it. But that because traditional stats dip when you're with LeBron, that somehow you're a worse player. I don't. I don't necessarily think those two are the same. That's all. Would you rather play with LeBron or play on a different team where you could get more shine? I know you have a giant ego. You you would want to you'd want to be on Golden State going thirty eight and forty four, <laughs> but you're averaging twenty five a game. <laughs> no, I would hate losing. Trust me, I would. I would hate uh. hate losing. But yeah, I would be I would be a very typical NBA guy in that I'd be like, let's get that first deal. Let's get like 26 a game. And then all right. And then this is why you love Anton Jameson. Right. Yeah. Like, hey, look, like I'd start following LeBron on Instagram and be like, oh my God, your kids are cute as hell. You know, just leaving comments left and right. And but like when he would tweet out something about WNBA salary, I would like quote tweet it, be like, tell him, King. Preach. And they'd be like, fucking Rosillo really wants to play with you this summer. Be like, no, no, dude. He's just, it's good, fam. Rosillo would go to LeBron and be like, so I have some ideas in the offense. And LeBron would be like, here's my idea. Stand over in the corner. Sometimes I'll throw you the ball. Just make sure you make it or I'm going to blame you. And then I'd probably get traded. I'd probably get traded a year and a half. You know what I wouldn't do is the Isaiah Thomas thing where as soon as I got to the team, I would start telling LeBron he took my MVP. (laughs) I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. (laughs) Listen, LeBron, LeBron is the surest 55 wins a year, regardless of his supporting cast that we've had 
since Bird, since Bird and Magic and Michael Jordan. So it's it's not a criticism. It's just a fact that when guys went to his teams, they had to sacrifice something because he has the ball that part all the time in all these different situations. And that's just the way it is. Chris, you're on the clock. 13. Who, um, who, let me see who this actually was. This was... This was Keon Clark. Oh, it's Orlando again. So Orlando has Great 12 pick. and 13. Great pick. Wait, you took, you actually took Keon Clark. No, this was Keon Clark. Oh, I life. thought you were excited. I thought you were actually taking him. Okay. No, I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to take Harpering here. Okay. I want to take Bonzi, but I, I understand that that is flawed. I understand that there's a lot that goes into picking Bonzi, but Bonzi was one of my like real cult figures in this this time period. Thoughts on Harpering, Rosillo? I like Harpering. I did. Um, I like Keon Can Clark you, better. I don't. I don't think traditional stats tell the Keon Clark story. I feel like I let Rosillo down by not taking Clark there for <laughs> sure. Can you compare and contrast your game with Matt Harpering's, Rosillo? No, I'm more athletic. Or was. <laughs> uh, Matt Harpering, 18 Matt a game. Good player. Yeah. yeah, 18 a game in Utah. All right, I have... Uh, Wait a minute, it's me, isn't it? Oh, yeah, you're up, yeah. Russell yeah, you're up. Okay, well, if we're doing this, if he landed in an alternate universe, may have been healthy, give me Michael motherfucker Dickerson. Because that dude could ball when he first came into the league. And unfortunately, he was really hurt and um, couldn't make it happen. But his first couple years in Vancouver, uh, well, wait a minute, Houston, then Vancouver, um, he lit it up. He, had, he went on this stretch there in that 99-2000 season where I was like, this guy's awesome. So, maybe and I'm he wrong. signed it. No, I'm with you. He signed one big contract and it was totally worth it. And then he just got hurt. But, you know, I could he have been Michael Finley if he doesn't get hurt? Like, maybe. I, I really liked him. I thought, I'm with you. I It's weird when you do the redraft and that's somebody, like him and LaFrance, LaFrance, I think are two good examples of if they don't get hurt, it's a completely different uh, discussion. But I like that pick. Um, okay, so the 15th pick was Orlando again? Orlando had another pick? They had 12, no. 13, and 15. Yeah, they had 12, 13, and 15, or at least according to basketball reference. Um, What? All right. So wait a minute. They Did Keon Clark, though, did he play? They must have traded him out. Yeah, because he ended no, they, up. No, they, they kept all did, three, I think. No, he, he was traded. He was to traded Denver. draft night. Yeah, to Denver. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, no, no. He wasn't traded draft night. He was traded... He was traded right at the before the deadline. So he made it like half a season there. That was part of a Keon dueling thing. All right. All right. For the people listening, we have one pick left. And here are the choices. Bonzi Wells. Rasha Nesterovich. Ricky Davis. Nazi Muhammad. And Ruben Patterson is, and his electronic tracking bracelet. <laughs> Could the Kobe <laughs> stop her? Ruben Patterson. 
One of the rare you, NBA players who actually was not allowed in one of the states where they played NBA games because of his criminal behavior. Ruben fucking Patterson, man. Ruben. Ruben Patterson Google dive is fucking tough. There's some dark shit that would not have flown in 2020. So I'm not It didn't fly it. then. Yeah. It it didn't fly during an era when a lot of things flew. Um I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm going Bonzi. So here's the case for Bonzi. Um he he peaked at 17 a game with Portland. He had some some good moments on Memphis too when they were a playoff team. Bonzi was like playing for winning teams for the first eight years of his career. And I always felt like um, one of the things I liked about him was he was one of those guys, if he was like playing Kobe, he thought he was as good as Kobe was. Where it's like, oh, this is great. Now the two best players in the league get to go head to head. Like that was his <laughs> mindset. And uh, I also liked his game. I liked uh, I liked how he, he could post up. He could shoot. He could uh, shoot threes. He didn't make them, but it seemed like he could he could make them. But he has a really weird 06 playoff thing with the Kings. In six playoff games, he averages 23 and 12 rebounds. I, I, I have no explanation for it. On Portland, seven-game series, which they lose, I think, to the uh, Kings, he was 19 and seven. Um, also pretty nuts. So yeah, he, uh, he, he was pretty a big, bonkers. He, when, you, when you think about like eyeball emoji over an NBA story in 2020, it's like we don't have a lot of guys who just don't show up for road trips. Yeah. You know, like that that was a thing that happened in 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 the late 90s and early 2000s is Bonzi Wells getting suspended cuz he just didn't show up for a plane. He so could he score, had, man. He when he would score though too, like I think part of it was you'd be watching Bonzi you'd be like what does he have right now? I'd be like the dude has 20. You'd be like he has yeah. 20 already. Yeah. And he should have gone was, instead of Michael Dickerson. I mean, you know, I was having some fun there at the end, but Bonzi being the last pick too low because he did you're right, Billy. He had some stretches there where he was scoring against other guys. So would I you just, guys would you say that he he had a similar game to Pierce? I'm trying to remember like Bonzi in action. Kind of that unimpressive no, in again thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I Googled Bonzi Wells arrested. Here's what came up. <laughs> Great. First, first story, Ball State star arrested for battery. Um, second, Bonzi Wells tells his side of legal fight. Third, uh, Thugs Are Us, which was a uh, Bleacher uh, Jailblazer story. Um, Jailblazers, fourth story. Fifth story, Bonzi Wells fined by Blazers after gesture toward fan. Sixth story, Portland forward strapped of co-captaincy. Those are your first stripped? Six. Stripped, stripped of co-captaincy. Was he strapped and that's why? Wait, what? <laughs> <So, laughs> that's yeah, not a, Those were the top six? For Bonzi Wells arrested. Yeah. So there you go. All right. So to recap our top 15, number one, Nowitzki, number two, Pierce, number three, Carter, number four, Lewis, five, Jameson, six, Bibby, seven, White Chocolate, eight, Mobley, nine, LaFrance, 10, Harrington, 11, Alston, 12, Hughes, 13, Harpering, 14, Dickerson, 15, Bonzi Wells. Any apologies for Ricky Davis not getting picked here? No, I, when I heard the story about a team meeting and he was supposed to be at some function and he was like, sorry, I rented a boat. And they were like, what? And he's like, I rented a boat. I'm not losing the deposit. I, I can't lose the deposit. They were like, Rick, we need you. We need you here. And you're like, no, 
Like he he could score. He's probably better than some of the guys we named. But I mean, hell, what are we talking about though? You just took Bonzi Wells. I took Dickerson who had like two good years. <laughs> so Ricky Davis should have gone in the lottery, but I think all of us No, I, I we've all had he, enough I, experience with him. They're, the Boston stories from him in the mid-2000s where they felt like they pulled off this amazing steal to get a guy who is still young and could average 20 points a game and all that stuff. They get him from Cleveland. He's the first one who's like, hey, this isn't LeBron's team. It's my team. And Cleveland's like, we're trading you now. Um, goes to Boston. He's pretty good. And he was actually like pretty popular with the Celtics fans, which is really weird to think back on. But That's they're here to point... They're hit a point where I think internally Boston was like, we have to get him away from Paul Pierce. Yeah. He's he he was like in the 90210 episode where Steve Sanders makes the new friend and who introduces him to all these different things. And you just know the guy's not going to be on the show very long, but bad things are gonna happen for Steve Sanders. Uh Paul Pierce, you could see like he his 05 behavior is like really erratic and weird. That's when he gets kicked out of the Pacers game in the playoffs and takes his jersey off. They lose by 30 to Indiana and they almost trade him that summer. And he was, he was, a lot of it had to do with he was trying to keep up with Paul Pierce. I mean, with Ricky Davis on and off the court. Ricky, I think, along with Allen Iverson, one of the legends, one of the off-court legends, like did not sleep. Um, the people that he would put in for tickets that would come to games, things like that. Like, <laughs> like, uh, just, yeah. Uh, he moved around. There was a reason for it. Any last, let me ask for- you guys. I wanted to ask you guys if there was anybody in the, this, this, this draft that even now today, you're like, I still hold stock on this guy. Like I'm, I'm not really willing to give up on Felipe Lopez. <laughs> Who do you have? Rosillo? Well, Felipe Lopez was a tough one for me, the St. John's thing, because, you know, he's on the cover, can't wait for the season. Zendon Hamilton ended up being the better player. Yeah. And I was like, you know, it just kept going. Like, each year at St. John's, you'd be like, okay, he's not as good. He's not as good. I think Nazar Muhammad should have at least been mentioned here. Let me figure out somebody here who I kind of like. Corleone Young was available for quite a while. Um, he went 40th. I remember reading Corleone Young stories and being really excited. Uh, you know who I, I really like? I'll admit, I kind of liked Doliak a little bit. I thought he would be better. And that Utah 12. team was really good. Yeah. That Utah team, they beat Arizona, right? Um, I really, that- uh, I also like Doliak. I, I'm with you. I I had the same feeling you had. Who was the guy you mentioned right before Doliak? I think Nazar Muhammad at least needs yeah, to be I li- mentioned. Yeah, I like Nazi. You know, he was good enough to be a rotation guy for a really long time and had some had some better peaks than just that. So Nazar, you know, he I, God, let me check his last year. Yeah, I mean, he played 18 years, dude. Can I take you back to the late 1990s and various conversations I had in bars at Boston being upset that we didn't take Nazi Muhammad <laughs> and that we should have known because Antoine played with him? No way. Told them. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, 10? You wanted it, that to happen? Because remember, Tuan was actually pissed off they took Pierce instead of Nazar Muhammad because of the no, Kentucky thing. Not at 10. I was just no, mad it, that we didn't figure out a way to end up with him. Where did he actually go in the draft? He went, I thought he was second round. Yeah, Nazar went, he went 29th and that was the last pick uh, in that year. So, right. So, Nazar went to uh Yeah, Utah, and my point is, my point is, I was, upset the, I was upset the Celtics never swooped in and grabbed him. Yeah, I'm point, telling you that 
Tuan was upset he didn't go 10. Yeah. Go back and read that stuff. You might be right. Uh, who is your guy that you still hold stock in, Chris? You never told us. Uh, I th- I mean, like, I the Felipe Lopez thing was a bit, but it was the same thing with Rosillo, where it was just always like a St. John's guy coming in, usually a New York kid who seemed like he was going to be the savior of the program. Um, other than that, I have a guy. I, I mean, Rosillo, I do. I, am I remembering Shimon Williams too fondly? No, no, because no, he, he was a baller he was in Celtics. college. But he, yeah, he I, so I'm going to go guy. with Shimon. Yeah. I think so, I have his jersey still from UNC. <laughs> my guy is uh, Miles Simon, who went 42nd in this draft. And this was at the height of me overrating guys' performance in March Madness and just assuming there was an immediate 100% correlation to NBA success. We learned the hard way with Miles that that wasn't always the case. But I like this game, and it's weird. He, I'm looking at his... Uh, college threes. He made 176 threes in college. Um, he was an 18 point a game guy in college. It's guys like that and Bo Kimball. And I just, there just seems to be no rhyme or reason for who succeeded in college. Who's like a six, four, six, five score. And then it just doesn't translate at all. And then other times it does. And I've stopped trying to figure it out. Yeah. Like Aaron Brooks, when he worked out out of Oregon, the little score, the guard, and he started yeah. putting up numbers for Houston. You're like, wait, so it's going to work with this guy? For whatever reason, I was anti-Simon back then. Hmm. I, I was. I Like like I said, look, I'm sitting here telling you I liked Oliak, which I was really bummed when Bill immediately was like, I liked Oliak too. So people can go, oh, two white guys from Boston really liked Oliak in 1999. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I immediately made my switch to Nazar Muhammad only because that's how I felt about it. Can I, can I leave you with a re-readable on the redraftable real quick? You can, but can I make one Doliak comment? Please. Oh my God. He also Another fit one? in. No, he fit into my whole thing. He was he was good in March Madness. He was a center on a team that succeeded and made the final four. And that was why I was like, oh, well, we should get that guy. I saw him in March Madness. It was still in that mindset. Anyway, you'd be a great NBA read- coach. People were asking, somebody asked me, like, how will this impact the NBA draft? I go, it'll be easier because the front offices don't have to worry about NBA coaches going, who's this guy, kid on Valpo? <laughs> right. <laughs> like they're in the sweet 16. Cause that's what every front office guy tells you is like our staff will sit around and watch the tournament. And then they start wanting us to draft these guys. Okay. This is from the Milwaukee journal Sentinel about tractor trailer. And it said that he's dropped 20 pounds at the end of Michigan's basketball season, but 40 pounds. If you include the start of the season, I thought that was incredible pro Milwaukee taking him uh, going to draft like no he didn't just drop 40 pounds last year they gave us that he had to drop 40 from the start of the season 20 since the season has been over um the wisconsin state journal said that it's an eight player draft anyway (laughs) oh no (laughs) okay in defending the the trailer pick on the other side dallas a lot of you know not everybody but a lot of people were trashing the trade saying they got a kid from germany that no one's ever seen play and Phoenix's third string point guard. That was from the Fort Worth Star Telegram. That was Steve Nash. And then Don Nelson, after the draft, said, quote, Pierce was my second favorite player. I just think that Nowitzki's going to be better. Well, if Dirk went to Boston to play with Rick Pitino, who we haven't made fun of nearly enough during this uh, <laughs> podcast, but don't worry, he he took it on the chin in he the 97 region. heavily. 
in the 97 redraft, he takes it in the chin. But uh, I think Dirk would have been completely screwed up by Patino within weeks. He the funny thing about the Pierce deal, like Rick was was done with Tuan, and then he loved Pierce. And then when Rick left, what a couple years later, and Jim O'Brien took over, do you remember how how significant what like he was making a point to praise Paul on the way out and was making sure it was like I'm not saying his nice stuff about Tuan because Pierce became his favorite guy once he got there because he and Tuan, you know, and look, Tuan was not an easy guy to play with or probably coach either. I went to a lot of Pierce's early career games those first four years. His rookie year, he would disappear for like five, six, seven minute stretches and quarters. And, and you'd be like, oh, now I can kind of, he's incredibly talented and I can also see why maybe he fell. And then when his career took off after Patino left, um, it, it was like a light switch went on and he just became so much more physical and uh, athletic and all that stuff. What a draft, fellas. We did it. 1998, the redraft. Uh, thanks for doing this with us. Thanks, Bill. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the 1998 redraft. On the redraft of feed here in the Book of Basketball, we have the 1999 draft is coming up to wrap up the week. Hope you're enjoying these. Thanks for listening. See you with uh, 1999.